Praise the Lord. Welcome to this mighty and glorious teaching on the Holy Communion and the Rapture. This is a mighty revelation that the Holy Spirit has given me regarding the Holy Communion. In other words, also called the Last Supper and the Rapture of the Church. Now, this teaching has several parts and the more it advances, the deeper it gets. But again, as it advances, you see lots of deep revelation, deeper insights into the Holy Communion, the covenant that the Lord Jesus had with the church even before he went and died for the sins of the world and resurrected and went to sit at the right hand side of the Father, our Lord in heaven. Now, just to begin as a background here in this mighty teaching, looking at the Holy Communion and the rapture of the church, I want to mention a few things about the Holy Communion and the rapture. How is the Holy Communion related to the rapture of the church? Now, we all know that the Holy Communion is a very central part of church, even part of the practice in the house of the Lord, because the Holy Communion is the one that reminds us of the mighty covenant of the blood of Jesus. It is that moment that also reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed for the church in order to purchase her so she can be a perfect bride unto him on the day of the rapture. But we also know that the Holy Communion is a pre-wedding covenant that the Lord Jesus, he had with the church, his bride. Just to reflect on it a little bit, our lead scripture today in this teaching is going to come from the book of Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to verse 13. And as I look at the Holy Communion, I'm going to examine several very important elements of the Holy Communion. I'm going to dissect it for you, open it for you, even in the Holy Spirit. There are several elements of the practice of the Holy Communion in the church as ordained by the Lord God our Father in heaven. And then at that moment, I'll look back to the time of the Passover during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that our Lord God ordained. He ordained unto Israel when Israel was in Egypt during the moment when Israel was being liberated from slavery, the 430 years of slavery. The Lord, he ordained the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and we'll look at the events during Passover and how at that time the Lord God in heaven was essentially speaking a prophecy to the church of Christ. He was essentially revealing to the church that which she needs to do. So I'll look at the specific elements of the Holy Communion and the Passover and then the deep revelation that's embedded in thereof. 
to the church, especially for such a time as this during the rapture of the church. And again, our lead scripture here is the book of Luke chapter 22, verses 7 and 13. Looking at the Holy Communion, the Last Supper. This is what he says. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. You begin to understand right away that when he is coming to talk about the Holy Communion, the Last Supper, he talks about the day of the unleavened bread. He begins to talk about the unleavened bread. And I will spend quite a bit of time revealing to you why when it comes to the Holy Communion, the Lord he begins to talk about the unleavened bread. And then after that, he also talks about when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So he talks about two events there right away. He talks about two main features of the Holy Communion. And the first feature he's talking about is the unleavened bread. And then the next feature he's talking about is the Passover lamb. Again, the first element he talks about is the presence of the unleavened bread, which stands for holy bread. Very soon I will speak with you in greater depth about the unleavened bread. And then after that, it talks about the Passover lamb that has to be sacrificed. And that's why he says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Verse 9, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as soon as, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. You begin to see right away the revelation that's embedded within the Holy Communion, the Last Supper. You see that when it comes to the Holy Communion, the Lord is talking about unleavened bread, which is holy bread, and then he talks about the sacrificing of the Passover lamb. And after that, as you go down, he says, Peter and John, go into the city. You will meet there a man carrying a jar of water. So right away you begin to understand that the Holy Communion essentially speaks about divine appointment. There is a divine appointment here. There is a divine appointment that the church has with the Lord and the Holy Spirit when it comes to the Passover. It speaks about the divine appointment the church has with the Holy Spirit. And down there, what do you see? He will show you an upper room. Now, that's the first time the Lord is already talking about the upper room to the church. I'm just breaking it for you bit by bit into specific elements to help you understand 
where I'm heading with you with this teaching. And so he's talking about the upper room now. He says, there is going to be a divine appointment. You're going to meet a man carrying a jar of water. Water is very critical. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And this divine appointment, this man that you meet, will take you to a place, and then the owner of the house will show you an upper room. Now that is a place of divine appointment, if you remember very well, between the church and the Holy Spirit, the upper room. He's talking the upper room to the church. And after that, you see that he says, he will show you a room that is well furnished. Make preparations there. Which means there is a room that is going to be prepared already. In other words, Christ is already at Holy Communion, hinting to the church about his exit, how he is going to exit the scene, the world, and he's going to be able to go up and make preparations of a furnished room. You see what is embedded in all this scripture on the Holy Communion. And so surely we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand every little message that's embedded within the scripture. He says, he's talking about the unleavened bread. He's talking about the sacrificing of the Passover lamb. Hallelujah. And then he's talking about the divine appointment. Going to the city, you'll meet a man. That man was already set up. The church has been set up with a man, water, the Holy Spirit, carrying a jar of water, and he will show you the upper room. Hallelujah. The upper room being the most important indication, the prophecy the Lord is speaking about, the visitation of the Holy Spirit unto the church, the day of Pentecost. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's already speaking to the church about the upper room. And take it to another level. He said, you show you a large room well furnished. Now, that is the next level in which the Lord is hinting the church about his exit. And he's saying, he is going to exit the scene and go prepare a well furnished place for the church. Hallelujah. And he says, he will show you a large upper room, verse 12, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So you see there, it's a moment of anticipation. It's a moment of eagerness. I have waited I've been so eager, I've eagerly waited for this moment. The Holy Spirit becomes a place of anticipation. When it comes to the Holy Communion, now the Lord is talking about, I anticipated, I've eagerly waited, I've been anticipating. Hallelujah. This moment when I can eat with you this Passover. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He is now already hinting on the rapture of the church. Because he says he will not eat again. And in other scriptures also in the Bible he says, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
or eat again this supper with you until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In other words, the Lord is hinting on the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verses 7 all the way to 9, but especially verse 9, where he says, The angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited into the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. So you see that the Holy Communion is very much tied into the rapture of the church. Because it is at the Holy Communion that the Lord is making promises to the church that he will not eat again of this or he will not drink again from the fruit of this vine until it is fully accomplished and fulfilled in the kingdom of God. At this juncture, I just want to highlight the following. At the Holy Communion, Christ, when he met his bride, at that time he lived in that culture, the Hebrew culture, and in the Hebrew culture, when a young man is going to marry and he finds his bride, he takes the bride to the parents, her parents, and they drink from the same glass of wine, red wine, as a sign of pre-wedding covenant of faithfulness. It is like, will you remember me? Will you wait for me? That is what you can translate in modern day language as the pre-wedding engagement ring or covenant. And so you see that already at the time when he finds the church, he does the same thing with the church, his bride. He already brings out the glass of wine, which we're going to see here, and he's eating this pre-wedding covenant. He's going into this covenant with her, and he said, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. In other words, until the day of the wedding supper of the Lamb of God, immediately after the rapture has taken place. Hallelujah. And look at this, somebody. He says, verse 17, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So you see that he's now connecting the last supper with the rapture of the church. Because the kingdom of God will only come when the rapture of the church takes place. That's when the church is fully, completely redeemed, the holy and glorious church, that is the bride of Christ, the holy church, that's when she is redeemed and enters into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God becomes established in the church. Hallelujah. And that happens at rapture. No wonder even during the second coming of Christ, it is the raptured saints that come back with the Lord. On the Mount of Olives, seven years after the rapture. And he said, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. So he's talking about the breaking of his body and that as we eat and partake of the Holy Communion, we should do this in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. So you already begin to understand that the Holy Communion has everything to do with the rapture because he's telling us to develop an everlasting covenant of faithfulness with him, pre-wedding covenant, and to keep remembering him, a covenant of faithfulness, until the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. So it goes on and on. But I want you to understand one thing. The Lord was developing a pre-wedding covenant with the church. Let me break this to another level today. To bring you to another level. We have mentioned a few things here. That when it comes to the Holy Communion, the Lord now begins to talk about the unleavened bread and the Passover lamb. How about in the Old Testament? What is it that the Lord spoke to the nation of Israel when they were in slavery that constituted the Passover feast, that constituted the time at which the Passover lamb are to be sacrificed, what is it that we see there in the Old Testament during the releasing of Israel from slavery that was speaking prophecy to the church? And what was the message given to the church? We all know that in Egypt, Israel had to be delivered from slavery. In Egypt, there were many gods being worshipped. So Jehovah had to deliver Israel from Egypt where many gods were being worshipped. And now we see that that deliverance took place at a specific time when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And the blood became a very instrumental piece a centerpiece in the deliverance of Israel, the blood of the Lamb, delivering Israel to go worship the Lord into the land of the promise. And yet we are aware that the church of Christ today is living in a spiritual Egypt. And again, the blood of the Lamb, the Passover Lamb that is Christ, is the one that delivers the church from this Egypt where there are many gods being worshipped. But let's look at the book of Exodus for further revelation here, precious people. The book of Exodus chapter 12. What is it here that the Lord is speaking to the church on the rapture that he placed in Exodus chapter 12? I begin from verse 1. He says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel 
that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You see, very clearly, he is already defining the character of the Passover lamb. And he says, and you may take them from the sheep or from the goat. Verse 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Hallelujah. He's already mentioning the blood. And he says, that same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. He says, do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over fire. Heads, legs, and inner parts, do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your clocks tucked into your belts, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hands. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I want to mention just a few things here. It says, when it comes now to the Passover, what the Lord God was ordaining to the nation of Israel at the time when they were to be delivered from slavery, it talks about bread without yeast and the Passover lamb. And then, at the same time, he gives the character traits of the Passover lamb. He said, the Passover lamb must be a lamb that is perfect without defect. Hallelujah. And there is the sacrificing of the Passover lamb and the blood of the lamb is to be used to cover the entrance, the houses, in other words, the doorposts. As he continues here, precious people, he talks about the bread without yeast and the bitter herbs. I'm going to break down each one of them for you today so you may be able to understand what is it that is in this scripture of Exodus chapter 12 about the Passover that so much speaks to the church about the Holy Communion and consequently about the rapture of the church. One thing I want you to know is that the revelation that is embedded in the Holy Communion surely speaks about the rapture of the church. And within the same Holy Communion that you see Jehovah had ordained to the Hebrew people, you see so much about the promise to restore them, restoration. And there are two levels of restoration he's talking about here. The removal of Israel from slavery. 
so he can restore Israel from slavery. Remember, at that time is when Israel was being set free from slavery. That's the first level of restoration. The second level of restoration is what the Hebrew people normally say during the Passover, which they have been told to commemorate as a lasting ordinance by Jehovah, lasting covenant. They always reflect on the need to be restored again back to the Lord. So there are two levels of restoration there. But as you read on in verse 12, he says, On that same night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival unto the Lord. A lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. You see he's emphasizing again bread made without yeast. And he continues, On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. So he's emphasizing that they are to eat bread without yeast. But, most importantly, during the seven days, from the seventh to the fourteenth day, they shall, prior to that, remove all form of yeast from their houses. And I guess as a church, you are beginning to see the revelation he's talking about there. The need for repentance. I'll speak to you on what yeast stands for. And he says, whoever eats anything with yeast is to be cut off. That means death. Hallelujah. Whoever does not repent. We'll look at that in greater depth. Verse 16. On the first day hold a sacred assembly, and another on the seventh day. Do not work on all these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. This is the lasting ordinance Jehovah was passing over to them, and there is a deep message embedded to the church in this. That's why I'm reading this. And he says, verse 17, Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. Now look at that. The feast of bread without yeast, unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. So you see the liberation, the first level of the deliverance I was talking about. Why the Holy Communion or the Passover, the Passover stands for deliverance, stands for the restoration of, of Israel from Egypt, from slavery. And I will take you systematically, step by step, so you may see the contemporary of what the Lord was speaking through this scripture to the church, that she may be delivered, that was speaking about her deliverance from spiritual Egypt. And he says, I repeat verse 17, Celebrate the feast of the living bread, because it was on this very day, 
that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Again, he says, celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread without yeast. He repeats it there, somebody. From the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. He's repeating that no yeast be found there. And I walk you on what yeast stands for. Why is he overemphasizing bread without yeast? Unleavened bread, no yeast be found in the house. Remove all yeast. Whoever eats yeast, cut off. Why is he emphasizing these things? That was the message of the church. And whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off. He repeats that. Hallelujah. From the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native born, eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. What an emphasis the Lord is making here. Verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Verse 22. Take a bunch of high soap, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frames. Not one of you shall go out of the door, out of his house, until morning. And he says, When the Lord goes through the land of Egypt, to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and the sides of the door frames and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Hallelujah. Listen to this now. He says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. So he's talking about the blood of the Passover lamb that is going to be put on the door frame that will protect them when the Lord passes judgment in the land. Judgment comes over the land of Egypt. And I'll tell you exactly what this stands for in the church. But I'm reading this as a background scripture so you may be able to be rooted, to be deep, to understand what God was speaking to the church already during the Passover and what each specific element of the Passover speaks to the church today. That is the reason that the new covenant of the grace of our Lord Jesus is actually the complete Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So there's a lot within the Old Testament that tallies or that speaks to the New Testament, which the church needs to know if she is to mature up and be a perfect bride of Christ. Hallelujah. And so he says here again, Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony, which means keep it as a lasting ordinance. You see that in the Holy Communion, the Lord was saying, do this in remembrance of me all the time, a lasting ordinance. As you remember me, you see it being reflected here, somebody. And he says, And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice unto the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes 
when he struck down the Egyptians. Now, then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now listen to verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who sits in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Verse 30. Pharaoh and all the officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Verse 31, he says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flock and herds with you, as you have said, and go, and also bless me. Verse 33. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added. Look at that. And carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs and wrapped in clothes. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Verse 37, he says, The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many of the people went up with them, as well in large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dow they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Verse 40. Now the length of the time the Israelites had lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. Now, when you look at this very carefully, you begin to understand that the Lord was setting free, that's the first deliverance, He was setting free Israel from Egypt. And what is also amazing to me is that on this night, the Lord ordained to them that as they celebrate this, as they keep this as a lasting ordinance, they should always maintain an all-night vigil because that's the day the Lord liberated them. It's amazing to me that in verse 29, it talks about the midnight hour. Hallelujah. When he comes to deliver them at midnight with the strong judgment striking the land as he takes them. And you see that that is synonymous with when the midnight hour arrives and the church is delivered while judgment hits the land. The church having lived in the spiritual Egypt. But I am amazed here by the vigil that he commanded them to maintain even as they observe this feast of unleavened bread, this Passover. And that tells you of what he has told the church to maintain vigil, to watch out. Revelation 16 verse 15. Be on a watch out. 
when you remember these things. But now listen to what he says here as we finish. Verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Now listen to the next level. Do not break any of his bones. You see that that's the main feature of the Passover lamb. And the Lord was saying, do not break any of the bones of the Passover lamb. Hallelujah. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. Verse 48, an alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. That tells you of the spiritual circumcision that takes place in the hearts of the Christians. The repentance and the receiving of our Lord Jesus. And then he spiritually circumcises our hearts. So now we are circumcised and we can partake of the Holy Communion. The everlasting covenant that brings us into the wedding of the Lamb of God. And he says, no uncircumcised male may eat of it. Which means not until you have repented and received the Lord. You cannot partake of the Holy Communion. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. Verse 50. All the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Verse 51. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Now, what is it in this powerful Exodus chapter 12 that so much talks about the Passover as an everlasting ordinance, everlasting covenant between Jehovah and Israel, powerfully ordained by God and commanded to them to be commemorated and marked throughout their lives. What is it that is in this powerful scripture that speaks revelation to the Holy Communion in the church and the rapture of the church? Let us begin right away by looking at the following. I want you to know, again like I've said, that the Jewish Passover has specific elements within which is embedded revelation for the church, especially during the time when the rapture is around the corner like now. Number one, there is the unleavened bread. And you see that when it comes to the Holy Communion, in Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 13, he talks about when the day of the unleavened bread came. And here we also see in Exodus chapter 12 that he's talking about the unleavened bread, the bread without yeast. So he's talking about bread and no yeast. But what is it in yeast that makes the Lord says it must be removed? It must not even show up. Anyone who eats of yeast during this time must be cut off. What is in yeast that the Lord so resents? I want you to know that yeast stands for sin. Yeast essentially stands for sin. That's why the Lord is saying, when it comes to the time now when you are supposed to go for the Holy Communion, as an everlasting covenant of faithfulness that speaks about 
the redemption of the church by the blood of Jesus, that is the cup now that is passed around, the cup of the covenant that he gave to his bride, the church, when it comes to that, that time of the Holy Communion, to commemorate what the Lord has done to redeem the church, his bride, then he requires that every person be born again before they partake of the Holy Communion. That's why you see he was emphasizing the fact that they have to be circumcised. And the ones who are not circumcised, if they partake of it, they must be cut off. Essentially speaking about the danger that people run into when they come before the Holy Communion unrepented. So yeast represents sin. Therefore, there was need to remove yeast to repent, remove sin. Yeast also represents defilement. So thereby making it important for the church to realize that before you go into the Holy Communion, the Holy Covenant of faithfulness with the Lord, you are supposed to get rid of all form of defilement. Yeast also talks about the rottenness. Because we know that as they were leaving Egypt, they did not have time to put yeast in the dough. But that was the intention of the Holy Spirit at that time, that they do not have yeast at all in the dough, in the bread. In that way, the bread can last longer in the desert and the wilderness as they walk, hallelujah. Because it is common knowledge today that if you take bread with yeast and you put the bread with the yeast through what they pass through in the wilderness, even just leave it in your house for two to three days, a lot of rot, fungus will start growing on it. So yeast essentially represents rottenness. And yet if you took bread without yeast, it becomes more durable, can stay longer. So yeast represents rot, rottenness. That's why I said you must remove it if you're coming before me in the Holy Communion. Hallelujah. Yeast also represents inflation, which means exaggeration, which is lies and deceit, which is actually the biggest sin of the Antichrist. He will deceive so they can worship him instead of Christ. So yeast represents inflation, lies. Inflation essentially represents lies, which means you are saying the value is this and not this. You are giving the untrue value, inflation. Hallelujah. Yeast also speaks about exaggeration, exaggerating the value. That's why the bread is swollen, the loaf is swollen. Hallelujah. Yeast also talks about deceit, the same sin of the Antichrist. And yeast talks about inflammation, pain, infection, somebody. That's why he emphasized all across the book of Exodus chapter 12, eat nothing made out of yeast. Make sure you eat bread made without yeast. You shall not eat bread made with yeast. He repeats it many, many, many times in Exodus chapter 12. So it may be very clear to Israel that you shall not eat bread with yeast. 
when it comes to observing and commemorating this everlasting ordinance and covenant between you, Israel, and Jehovah God in remembrance of how he delivered you from slavery. It was a holy deliverance. Deliverance from the land where many gods are being worshipped. And yet, when you come to Holy Communion, that's the same language the Lord is speaking. And that's why I said, I am going to examine what the Lord has embedded within the Passover festivity that so much speaks to the Holy Communion of the Church so we can mature up, grow as a mature bride. Hallelujah. And so, yeast also represents corruption and swollenness. Yeast represents no substance. If you look at bread with yeast, so many air particles in there, air. The way it is less, it is swollen, it is exaggerated. Hallelujah. It is no substance, weightlessness. It's not of gravity, weight. Hallelujah. Empty. The empty air spaces. Yeast talks of emptiness, somebody. And many, many other things. So I have already emphasized to you now the factors why Jehovah God ensure that yeast be removed when they come to celebrate the feast of Passover. Hallelujah. Let us move to the next item. How about the bread without yeast that he ordained to be brought when they are celebrating the Passover ceremony and when we are going to the Holy Communion? Why has he spoken about bread, bread without yeast? Now listen to this, somebody. When you look at the Hebrew and the Jewish Passover, first of all, by calendar, it normally comes around the same time of Easter. Hallelujah. Because he said, at Passover time, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the sacrificing of the Passover lamb. No wonder the Jewish calendar and the normal calendar, it appears that every time the Easter is coming, when Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, was sacrificed, there is a coincidence around the same time the Jewish Passover is being celebrated. So surely, whatever was happening here, in Exodus 12, was speaking prophecy to the church. Hallelujah. This is the only way the church can mature. You should understand every little aspect that is embedded and coded in the scripture. Old and New Testament. Now look at this, somebody. The bread that is brought without yeast, bread which is unleavened, bread without yeast, during Passover brought at the table during the Jewish Passover is called matzah. But when you look at matzah, matzah has so many ridges, stripes. It's striped in ridges. What does that represent to the church? I said I'm going to examine each and every element at the Jewish Passover table and speak with you on what revelation it carries to the church. Why is the matzah always with so many strips, stripes, 
stripes. Let's look at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, somebody. And see the revelation on why the Matha bread is striped. The bread that's unleavened. Look at this, somebody. He says here, very carefully, Isaiah 53. He says, verse 2, He grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men should hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Those are the stripes. By his stripes we are healed. That's why you see that the bread that the Jewish people place at the Passover, when they are commemorating the mighty ordinance of the Passover feast, that bread is without yeast, meaning holy bread. The body of Christ is holy. And is striped. Those are the stripes that the body of Christ took even on the cross. You see that? Hallelujah. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own ways. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open up his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By operation and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. You see that the strikes. He was assigned a grave among the wicked with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Father to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be sanctified. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercessions for transgressors. Listen to me, somebody. I'm just emphasizing on the importance of the fact that during the Jewish Passover, which is so much written about for the church, in Exodus chapter 12, there is unleavened bread called matzah, holy bread, without yeast, yeast being sin, and that bread is normally stricken, striped. I'm talking about the stripes that hit the body of Christ to release the covenant of the blood 
And that is the meaning of that bread that's called matzah, that during the Hebrew ceremony, the Hebrew commemoration of the Passover is placed at the table and eaten, and not bread with yeast. The same thing we can see the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four, still talking about the same bread that the Hebrew people use during the Passover. This is what he says, verse twenty-four. He says, "He himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness." By his wounds you have been healed. Right away you begin to understand that the stripes that you see on the matzah, the bread that the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, use, which is holy bread and living bread, that they were commanded by God to use at the Passover table, has many stripes, essentially talking about the stripes on the body of our Lord Jesus, when he was sacrificed, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, the stripes that also healed us. Isn't that a mighty revelation to the church? And I want us to move to the next level now, precious people, and look at the bitter herbs. They also offer them at the Passover table, just like the Lord ordained, the Passover lamb and the restoration. Let's look at the unleavened bread once more time, a little deeper now. We have looked at the yeast, why yeast should not be included. Because this is a holy moment when God is delivering his people, Israel, from the land of slavery. And for the church, we see that the Holy Communion speaks about an ordinance of a holy moment when Christ, the Son of God, was sacrificed on the altar of the cross so his blood could redeem the church from spiritual Egypt. Even speaking about the rapture, when she will have defeated death for the first time, having been redeemed completely into the kingdom of God. So bread without yeast, unleavened bread. Let's look at the book of Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Why does the Lord emphasize on bread without yeast? What does bread without yeast stand for? Luke 22, 7, somebody. Bread without yeast. Let's begin from that very place where we began. Luke 22, again. But this time, verse 7. This is what the Lord says here, somebody, about unleavened bread. Luke 22, verse 7. And he says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So you see right away that unleavened bread is always related with the sacrificing of the Passover lamb. And for us as a church, Christ is the perfect Passover lamb, the Passover lamb of God, that was sacrificed to shed his blood for the sins of the nations of the earth, the sins of the church. That's a very important message there. And at the same time, let us look at Exodus 12, verses 1 to 20. It talks about the unleavened bread. Most importantly, still talking about the unleavened bread, that is so much celebrated in the book of Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 all the way to 51, the unleavened bread that the Lord has emphasized so much. What is the revelation to the church on that bread? Why did the Lord say unleavened holy bread? Shalom. Hallelujah. If you are somewhere today 
and you have realized that you've fallen short of the glory of the Lord, of the holiness of the Lord, and of the ways of the Lord. And now you want to receive him as Lord and Savior. Please repeat this prayer with me. Say, precious Jesus, I repent of all my sins and I open my heart to you, Jesus, that you may fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I may live to please you. Mighty Jesus, keep my name in the book of life of the Lamb of God and bring me into the rapture of the church. In the name of Jesus, I have prayed. Amen.